Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I usually like to pick topics that are real positive, you know, and um, things that, that are encouraging. And you know what? Sometimes uh, when we take the topics that are a little harder, we find encouragement in them. Uh, I remember Brother Frank Tamil when we were young, when he was, he was a spitfire. I remember uh, his, his actions when he would preach and he was acting like he was boxing while he was up there. Sometimes I just saw him marking off there like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hit one, hit the devil in the nose today. And I remember how many times I walked out and I said, boy, my, my toes are bruised and my ego's bruised and I feel uh, like I've been beat up a little bit, but I felt so good because I wanted to make it to heaven and I was serious about it. So sometimes you just need to take time and talk about topics that are killing people. You know, if God forbid um, in this church or even in the sanctuary today, some, one of you may develop cancer. Um, and that's terrible. It's a terrible disease. And it can be a deadly disease. We've, we could actually have people raise their hands here today and they could tell you about how they've battled cancer and been victorious or are still battling it. But I want to talk about a cancer that's even more serious than that. It's a cancer that it affects the soul. And it's the cancer of pride. And I believe, and I'm going I'm to share some thoughts with you this morning, that pride is Satan's doorway to your heart and to your life. I believe that pride will always precede a fall. Matter of fact, the scripture says that. Pride precedes a fall. The Bible also tells me that pride is as despicable in God's eyes as witchcraft. I believe pride has a scent that attracts evil and repels God. I know that I haven't hunted for years, and, uh, and I know the hunters that still go out, they go out and buy this deer scent, and they put it on them because it attracts the bucks. Um, they, they, they know what they're putting on, too, by the way, but they put it on anyways. I believe that we can actually attract evil spirits to us through our pride. I believe that if you look at in, in the, the many terrible things that happen in the world and in lives, if you look in divorce and you look in murder and you look in all of these evil things, you will find at the very root of the problem, pride. Pride has caused innumerable people to fall away from God. It would be hard to keep count of the number of people that have walked away from God because pride entered, entered into their heart and they succumbed to it. I know that sometimes I, I've tried to take a little bit of a sabbatical from the news 
because I find it so, so depressing. But there's just um, some things that you just can't get away from because they're all around you. I wanted to read in Romans, the first chapter, what the root of our problem is. Now, sometimes, I know with Phil on Duck Dynasty, and I, I'm, I'm thankful for all the Duck Dynasty cups and videos that I got this year, and you know, people know that I like Phil because Phil's not afraid to tell it like it is. And they've, they've made a big deal about homosexuality this year, and even if you watched the Rose Bowl Parade, which I didn't do, but some others did, it was worldwide, it was prevalent there. It had to be, they had to have a, a marriage there on a float in front of the world, uh, trying to show their cause. But I want to tell you that that's not the problem. That's not the root of the problem. I want to go to the root of the problem. In Romans 1.18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things which that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but notice this, but became vain in their imagination, and their foolish heart was darkened, and professing themselves to be, to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. And wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature, humanity, more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men working that which is unseemly and receiving in themselves that recompense of their heir, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind, to do those things which are not convenient. And so I'm going to stop there, but I want you to look in the very beginning. It says they became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Vanity. Vanity is a symptom of pride. Vanity focuses on, on, the, on itself. It likes it. You can always tell someone that, that's got some vanity. They have mirrors all over their home. They carry mirrors everywhere. They can't walk by a glass window without looking in the window to make sure every hair is in place and everything is fixed properly. Vanity, vanity, Solomon said. All is vanity. And when did he say that? When he was so disgusted with the way that his life and his viewpoint of the world had turned out. Vanity, pride. 
Now, when I go back and I look at the scripture, the disciples asked Jesus a question. They said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, we've talked about the bottom of the barrel. We've talked about Romans 1, those that have been turned over to a reprobate mind, to their vile affections. And that encompasses a large number of sins, not just a couple. What did Jesus do as an illustration? In Matthew, the 18th chapter, verse 2, this is what he does. He called a little child to him and placed a child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we like John 3, 3 through 5. You must be born of water and of spirit, or you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. But lots of times, we really don't quote this scripture, because we don't really understand the principle behind what Jesus is saying. He says, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whosoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whosoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. So what is it that a child has, or this child that was represented, that stood before Christ, that he used as an illustration, what did this child have that made him so desirable in Christ's eyes and, in a sense, qualified for heaven? What does a child have? They have, shoot it out. They have humility. They have trust. They have faith. They believe in Santa Claus. Yeah, I did. Even when my dad dressed up and walked in and he looked so goofy, I still believed because I wanted to believe. A child is simple. He doesn't, when he goes to school in the morning, his clothes, his shirt can be untucked in the back and tucked in the front, and he can have one sock on and one sock off, and his hair can be messed up, and he's happy as can be. Because he, a child does not focus on himself. They get older, they start to. That childlike faith that God expects in his children It's not so much about your appearance as the condition of your spirit. When I look at 1 Timothy, the third chapter, and Paul is talking to the church and he's trying to set up uh, rules and guidelines for leadership in the church, he writes this, when you, you, you choose a leader, don't choose a novice, not a novice, 1 Timothy 3, 6, Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Well, are all novices bad? What does that mean, as a novice? Sometimes a novice, someone that's starting out in, in leadership, starts to feel pride or an ego from early accomplishments. 
It's the old timer that's been knocked down and he's, his ears have been bitten off and his skin has got scars in it. He looks like, a, like, like a, a wolf that's been beat up a number of times. Those are the humble characters. The longer that I live, it seems the more I've realized that I've had to overcome insurmountable weaknesses in my life. And I begin to realize it's solely by the grace of God that I stand before you today. I go right back to the very beginning of creation and, and God put this on my heart a couple weeks ago so it's been stewing there for a while. But I, I look at how humanity fell for instance and how the devil gained access to Eve. Now the serpent, Genesis 3.3, was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made he said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God said you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. Notice what Satan does and how he enters into the heart of the woman and into her decision process. Up to this point, Satan has been excluded in the garden. Adam and Eve are walking with God. They have a close relationship with God. Everything's running smoothly. But notice how he gains access into her life. You will not certainly die. In other words, there's a challenge. The serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He appeals to her pride. In other words, you can get a promotion in this. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, he'll, you'll be just like him, and he's trying to keep you subdued. And so the pride of the woman is affected by the temptation of the Satan, and then the door to her decision process is opened and Satan enters in and man falls. Up to this point, the door had been closed. So what was the door to the fall? It was pride. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, or so she thought, she took Someone ate it. She also gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were open. They realized they were naked. They sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And then the Lord came searching for them in the garden, and we know the rest of the story. I do not believe that Satan has changed his tactics. I do believe that every one of us has an element of pride in us. Because we're sinners, saved by grace. We have the potential in us to do every kind of sin. The potential is there. But the door for Satan to come in usually is the door of pride in your life. In Isaiah, the 14th chapter, when I actually go back and I, I look at, at Lucifer and I look at his background, and his pedigree. 
I can see him trying to instill his principles in humanity to cause humanity to partake in the same sin that caused him to be thrown from heaven. Isaiah 14, now some believe this is referring to just the king of Babylon. And it may be true, and it may be true. But I see a degree in Isaiah's writing that does refer to Satan. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weak, didst weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will be like the Most High. Yet thou shalt be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake nay kingdoms, that made the world as a wilderness and destroyed the cities thereof and opened not the house of prisoners. One of the things that you'll find in pride is will. Your willpower. I will. You ever have your child say to you, I will not? You're going to bed now. I will not go to bed. In other words, I decide to exert my will over the, another person's will. And that's, if you look at the verses here, there's at least five times that Isaiah mentions that Lucifer uses I will. And that's maybe part of our problem. We all have the ability to make our own decisions. We have a will. It's when we exert our will over God's will that we find ourselves cast down from God's presence. I also began to think about their, their children and how, how their decisions were passed on through them to their children. Many parents don't realize that how they act in front of their children is actually setting up uh, in the future the children's actions uh, for themselves. They're affected by how you act and the decisions that you make. And in chapter 4, it says, And Adam knew his wife, and she conceived, and bare Cain, and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. And she bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect, and Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. Now, I'm, I'm just going to assume that God had instructed Adam and Eve in the matter of sacrifice, and that sacrifices had been going on since the Garden of Eden, since God slew the first animal. But for some reason, Cain 
who was a really great farmer, by the way, probably, who was very proud of the work of his hands, decided that he wanted to give God something that was very special to him, with all good intentions, with all good intentions. Do you know a lot of people lose out with God because of just good intentions? So he thought that he would bring something that God had not asked and give it to God and expect him to receive it, not knowing the implication of the sacrifice, knowing that not that the blood sacrifice was something that was very close and dear to the heart of God in the role of man's redemption. His, his sacrifice isn't accepted, and, and Cain's is, or Abel's is. I, it doesn't say how Abel's sacrifice was accepted. I'm assuming that maybe fire came down and consumed it. Doesn't say that, but there was some visible evidence that Abel's sacrifice was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Now, it's quite possible that Adam and Eve were present at the sacrifice, and Cain is embarrassed. So Cain's pride is hurt, and pride is what caused him to do what he did. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth? And why is thy countenance fallen? Why are you so mad? And I sometimes wonder if God speaks to us when our feelings get hurt, and he says, why are you so upset? If you do as I tell you to do, the blessings of God will be upon you just as, uh, as they are on others. But I wanted to bring you something that was special. I wanted to give you something that I thought was important. Now, God goes on to tell him, if you do well, shalt thou not be accepted? You still have an opportunity to do what's right. But if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee sin shall be his desire, and shall rule over him. Now, this is important. This is a very important scripture. Because if you choose not to humble yourself and repent of your action, sin will begin to rule over you. That's what it says. And shall rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I, here's my imagination again. I thought, what did they say in the field? They argued, no doubt. Maybe Abel was a little, little upfront and said, you know what? God accepted my sacrifice and he didn't accept yours. Na, na, na. But pride led to bitterness. And pride led to murder. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. See, there's different stages of cancer. Stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. Stage one is not as bad as stage four. But if you allow pride to reign in your heart and you don't subdue it and it begins to reign over you, it will affect when you come to church, how long you stay at church, what you do for God, what you don't do for God, how you treat your wife, how you treat your children. Satan will begin to rule through your life. And you will have been the one that allowed him into your heart 
because you opened the door of pride when he tempted you and your feelings were hurt. And the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And he said, I know not, and I, am I my brother's keeper? Pride actually leads a person to such delusion that he thinks he can lie to an omniscient God and deceive God. That's unbelievable. But it happens. And he said, what hast thou done? The voice of thy brother's blood crieth unto me from the ground. And then, of course, we find that Satan is cursed, or uh, Cain is cursed, and a mark is put upon his head. And then verse 13 says, my punishment is greater than I can bear. And how did it all start? It all started with, I will. I will give God what I think God should have. I will give him fruits when he wants blood. I will, I will, I will. And you know what? If you find yourself saying that, if those words are coming out of your mouth, it's a good time to take your temperature and see if something needs to be corrected. I... I I'm also amazed, and I'm going to use this, this last example, of Job and his family. Here's something unique. This is, this is a dichotomy. We're actually looking at it in the reverse now. We've looked at uh, Adam and Eve, and we've looked at Cain and Abel. But let's look at a man that, that's living with high integrity and morals. In Job, the first chapter, it says there was a man in the land of us whose name was Job, and the man was blameless and upright, and one who feared God and shunned evil. His seven sons and three daughters were born to him. And of course, it talks about his possessions, the 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels. He's a rich guy, and he's the greatest of all the people of the East, the Bible says, the greatest of all of them. And it goes on to show me that you can live a life of blessing and still retain integrity. It is possible, but difficult. And look at how Job cares for his family. And his sons go to a feast in their houses, verse 4, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. And so was in the days of feasting had run their course that Job would sanctify them, send and sanctify them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did occasionally. No, no, no. He did it regularly. When you get older, the word regular means something to you. That means every day. It's regular. Now, notice what God does. I know, I, I had to throw that in there. I'm sorry. We can't be too serious. Now, notice what happens here. Now, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? And so Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth. And then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there's none like him on the earth, a blameless and a bright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? 
Why does God do that? Why can't you just leave the man alone? Why would you point him out to the enemy? So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him and around his household and around all that he has on every side? You've blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has and he will surely curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in thy power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, here's Satan's, Satan's plan. He's going to attack from the outside because he can't get in from the inside. Remember, the only way that Satan can get into your heart is through the door that you leave open. And the biggest door is the door of your pride. So what he's going to do is he's going to attack first his prosperity. And I'm going to watch my time. I've only got five minutes here. So I'm not going to read all these scriptures. He, he moves upon people first. He moves upon the Sabians. He moves upon the leadership of the nations to attack Job. See, God can use people to get to you. You've got to understand that if Satan wouldn't have went and entered into the mind of the Sabians, they would have never attacked Job because they hadn't attacked him in the previously. So sometimes when somebody comes to you and they assault you with words or actions, have you ever taken time to consider that Satan is trying to affect your life through another person? He did it with the Sabians. And then we know that he caused fire to fall from heaven. He did it through nature, through acts of God. How many times have I heard people talking about tsunamis and earthquakes and tornadoes? And if you have insurance and you want to make a claim, that's usually referred to as an act of God. Well, I want to tell you something. Satan has power over some of the things of nature. He called fire down. And he will in the book of Revelation too. And then when his, his family was attacked, he took his wealth away, he took his family away, and still Job would not open up the door of rebellion to his heart. He said, naked came I into the, this world, and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm, I'm just filling that in a little bit. That's, that's in the scripture there. Satan now attacks him physically. And we need to understand that Satan will try to get into our lives in whatever manner he can. I lost my job. I lost my, a member of my family. I'm sick all the time. Now, in all these, the Bible says, Job sinned not. Well, what would a sin have been for him to sin? To blame God foolishly. That would have been the sin. To blame God for something that Satan was doing. 
Satan would like to take all of the evil that's come upon the earth and focus it back on God and say, because God has not interceded, evil has overcome our nation. That's Satan's tactic. No, Satan has moved through the pride and the rebellion of people who've opened their hearts to him and he's controlling them and subjecting them to sin. And then, that's not all. Then he'll, when you're sick, he'll send some friends to you and they'll act like friends for a little while and then when you don't, they pray for you and you don't get better, then they'll accuse you of having sin in your life. Oh yeah, yeah. Look at his Job's three, three friends coming for seven days and seven nights. They stand around and they don't say anything to him. Hey, great guys. You're just looking at me. I look, I'm full of boils. They're oozing, it's dripping. I, I look, you can't even tell that I'm human, my face is so swollen, and you just stare at me. Seven days and seven nights. And then Eliphaz says this. He compliments him, and then he tears him up. He says in verse chapter four, in verse three it says of Job, surely you have instructed many, and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who was stumbling, and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you, and you are weary. It touches you, and you are troubled. Is not your reverence, your confidence, and the integrity of your ways, your hope? And notice what happens down in verse 12. And I need to show you this before I end. Notice who appeared to Eliphaz, before he talked to Job, verse 12, now a word was secretly brought to me and my ear received a whisper of it in disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night when deep sleeps fall on men, fear came upon me and trembling which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face, the hair on my body stood up, it stood still but I could not discern its appearance a form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more pure than his maker? Does their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom. What Eliphaz is saying is, he had a visitation, and I can tell you who it was. Satan came to him, and in a vision, he fills his mind with all sorts of lies about Job so that he goes back to Job and says, this is all happening because of your sin. You have sin in your life. And see, that's how Satan would like to crush you. My Bible tells me that Satan in 1 Peter 5, 8 is my adversary. In Matthew the fourth ch the chapter, it tells me that he's the tempter. He even tempted Jesus and tried to get him to fall. My Bible tells me he's the prince of all the demons in Matthew 12 and 24 and Mark 3. He's an evil one. He's the author of all evil in Luke 10. 
He's a murderer, and he's the father of all liars in John 8, 44. He's the prince of this world. He is. He can enter into a human body in John 13 and 27, and I could go on and on and on. But if you, he cannot touch you unless you open the door for his entrance. You have an enemy, but you don't need to succumb. I don't know about you, but I'm keeping the doors closed the next couple days. I'm so glad I don't have to let the dog in and out of the patio door, all the BTUs that would be gone each time. But you know what? I need to keep the door of my heart shut. I need to pray like David prayed. Search me, O Lord. See if there be any wicked way in me. Wash me, Lord. Is there any root of bitterness inside of me? What are my symptoms? My doctor's got me on this regiment now of testing my blood every day, every morning, every night, and blood pressure, and just so they can keep track of stuff. And so every morning I go through the routine. But you know what? I need to go through that routine in my spirit every day. And if I start to build a pride that says, I will, I will not do this, I will not do that. Humble yourself before God in his presence and he will exalt you. He will lift you up. Humility is the cure for the cancer of pride. Humility is the only thing. Well, how do you get it? Do you pick it up at the bookstore? Do you read a book about it? Do you put on a preaching tape? Well, that can help because humility is only brought about through, what's the word? Repentance. Repentance that's not to be repented of. In other words, you're not sorry that you did it and you're glad and you do it again and again and again. Repentance, godly sorrow, worketh repentance, which kills Pride. I got an email the other day. I was talking about how I could overcome cancer. You know, somebody from church sent it to me. And some of the things that they found and the food that I could eat that would help me overcome it if I, and keep my chances of getting it. Well, I want to tell you, there's things that you can do in your walk for God that will get you to heaven. But I want to tell you, the ratio of people in this sanctuary, in this church, that possibly will not make it to heaven, according to the word of God, is 50%. Because many of you that are here today, one day may walk away because someone said something to you or something didn't happen the way that you wanted it to. It might have been an attack on your health or whatever it was, and you will walk away from God And I get that from the Matthew, the 25th chapter. Two in the field, one taken, one left. They're together. The the bride and the bridegroom. So watch. For in an hour that you think not, your Lord doth come. And it isn't going to be long. And you need to change. If you're using the lure of perfume called pride, You need to change it because every spirit that you walk by when you have pride is going to be attracted to you. And you're going to have a miserable, miserable time. Let's stand together. 
Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-5177 or email us at info at abundantlifechurch.org.